Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Addicts in Recovery with Zach and Spencer. We have a phenomenal guest. It is one of Spencer's old friends and one of my new and very good friends. Her name is Charlotte. And Charlotte has come today to talk to us about some of her uh, history and some of her experience, strength, and hope. She has a phenomenal story, and she will be very inspirational for everyone who listens. A friend of ours actually said the other day um, in, in a meeting that hell is other people. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think he's quoting uh, Sartre or, or somebody. I thought that was a really good line. I've also heard, um, you know how they say stay away from mind-altering substances? Have you heard the line, stay <laughs> away from mind-altering people? Oh, That's there we really go. That's a really good one. I really Straight like that to one. The heart of yeah. It. There's a lot of mind-altering people out there that I'm like, I'm not going around you. It's yeah. not going to do it. You have to make those kind of so. judicious judicious choices, don't you? Mm. Yeah. I'm like, no, you're fucking annoying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you will drive me to drinking. So, <laughs> uh, so what's up, Charlotte? Where uh, where are you from? Um, so not too far from Spencer, actually, because uh, that would only be like a 15 minute drive. Yeah. yeah. Born and raised in St. Albans. Okay. The dodgy part, I guess. The, the, the oh, I wouldn't go. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but yeah, like I was saying before, there was um, two sort of like roughish schools around. Uh, there's this um, thing called the Auburn Way, which my house backed onto. Um, which uh, yeah, are you? No, I'm not gonna. I was gonna say something a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't say this while I'm being recorded. The Auburn Way, isn't that the the trail? The, yeah. Like, that used to be an old rail line or yeah. something like that? Okay. Yeah. And um, I mean, I did uh, take advantage of it when I was younger and a good place to sort of do things. Get loaded. Drugs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do drugs. Uh, yeah, just drink obscenely. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not so bad. You've always got to have those, like, good places, right? Everybody has those niche spots that they can just hide in. Yeah, for drinking like, and loaded. if you feel like risking getting stabbed, you know, those <laughs> that kind of fun. Is it really that dangerous? It, yeah, it has been. Really? Um, I ride my bike in that thing at night all the time. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. no. It, it's definitely got better before oh, it used okay. to be. Well, that's good. A little bit more. I mean, there was a... Um, a, a traveler site um as well at one point which so they used to like ride their horses and carts and all that up up, up and down there so yeah yeah so what was it like growing up there um yeah it was all right i've always felt a little bit too like for saint Albans, not posh enough um mm. that's why like when most people ask me where i live i, I say near smallford or smallford or near smallford because i'm not bougie enough yeah. I'm, not, I'm not like Spencer enough. I don't have the accent or who the is? vocab. Who is? That's a good point. Yeah, the vocabulary. Yeah. I'm so sorry about that. What, it's was, just the how I what was the word you kicked out earlier today? Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, you said, oh, it was so... Um, concertinaed? Yeah. Oh. What? <laughs> Comedino? No, con concertina. 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 It's just like when you fold something up and... You know, like the middle of an accordion. I don't know what we're talking about this, but the middle of an accordion <laughs> is like a concertina. Oh, um, okay. Okay. Enriching lives two at a time. Okay. All right. See. Well. Okay. I get what you're saying. You don't. You don't have the. Uh, yeah, I don't know words like that. <laughs> and to be honest, it hasn't um, made a massive impact on my life. Not knowing that word until today. <laughs> Got to be honest. Uh, I was thinking of the song It was a funky comedina Because it's a very inappropriate song uh, Yeah Anyway <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, So you didn't you, you didn't feel like you uh, Like you fit in No my So a bit about my family My um, my, my background that I uh, So I only I only talk about my mum's side Because um Easy there. <laughs> Sorry. Watch the um, watch the tell. <laughs> You're good. Uh, yeah, because my my parents divorced when I was um, six years old, and because of some things that went on, which I will probably go into later. Um, don't talk to my father's side 
at all. Um, so my mum's side is half Indian. Um, so she was born in Madras and um, they were like the typical um, move from India, fairly poor there to an English, con- well, English country, England. And um, lived just really, uh, yeah, very much, um, they, they were... They were the dark people in a very white area, which um, Harrow, which is now actually quite an aged area. Um, so very much discriminated against. Um, it's like 11 people in a two bedroom house, stuff like that. So raised very much with the mindset of um, be humble, be um, that, you know, like the starving in children in Africa. You can't have any problems because there are always people worse off than you. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah, but it was all put across to me in a quite negative way. Like that's the way I sort of um, interpreted it. So I maybe didn't feel like right from the get go good enough as uh-huh. most of my peers. Um, how did it? How did it feel? You, so you said that um, it's basically be grateful for what you have, right? How did mm. you feel as a kid? Were you actually grateful for what you had? And like when they, when they, you know, oh, grateful yeah. for what you have, there are starving kids in Africa. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, I want no, a new no, no, bike. No. <laughs> no, definitely. I was, uh, I, I was still, um, didn't really like getting new things and all of that because of, um, I, it, it's almost put across to me in a way that if I did get stuff like that or did get anything nice or treated more like better than I, I felt like I should be then there is this sense of um, shame that I should feel because there are other people that don't get those things, mm. um, which I carried with me for a long time. Um, I did really feed into the low self-worth like thing. I think that's really, really interesting because <clears throat> I know certainly from my heritage, which is Germanic, right, mm. on my, my father's side, that this kind of protestant work ethic like if you were to spend all day digging a ditch like and you're exhausted like that's good that is sort of next to godliness and that kind of real i don't know that that kind of the you know you work hard and you know hard work is sort of the answer to Mm -hmm. kind of i guess it's loosely based around the the meritocratic idea um but it's really interesting to hear that, that mm. you had that kind of growing up as well. So, What a hard way to to grow up. I mean, if you think about it, like just to be raised where you're you're feeling shame for for what you have. Right. Because mm. um, someone else doesn't have it. And so you and it's all it just sounds very uh, like self-destructive very self-destructive yeah no i think it um it was because when um like when i i say i got relayed the message be grateful it was more just like you better be grateful because i didn't have that when i was a child because forced gratitude is gratitude yeah Yeah, that's how to take a beautiful concept and kind of just ruin it yeah destroy (laughs) it you will be grateful oh will i okay i mean if you're gonna make me you're gonna make me then it's kind of basically resentment isn't it mm. <laughs> so yeah looking um looking back i guess it really laid the foundation for pain being quite a comfortable place to be in mm. Mm. the place it, it, it familiar right? familiar yeah almost safe because i wouldn't be risking feeling any more worse than i was or anything like that i don't know does that make sense yeah <sighs> yeah i well I can understand it sort of intellectually. Mm. I mean, it's not a hugely great place to be probably emotionally. And No. How was your relationship with your mom? Um, so <clears throat> with my, uh, the whole thing that went down with my parents, I made me emotionally cut off from everything that was going on in my family um, for, well, for until I stopped drinking, really, because um, there was I was uh, I was kind of pushed into this world of very adult problems of like solicitors, court cases. It was a very messy divorce, um, and uh, obviously, as as a kid, I didn't know how to cope with it. <clears throat> um, and my my uh, sort of 
way out then was to just go into into books and fantasy and and live through that because I couldn't cope with my own life um which that was probably the healthiest way I've ever tried to escape reality um but I completely disassociate disassociated um detached from my emotions um like when when I first started to to look back at my past and explore my history people are um asked me about that and I just told them like oh my god that must have been so painful and I was just like mm, it happened you know <laughs> and uh and then eventually it got to the stage where I was like oh it must have been really painful for that kid as a child not being able to connect to it for myself and then being able to sort of like oh yeah actually yeah, that explains a lot about the way I am now um my sort of ideas and perceptions that I've rather had to build on and work through stuff like that um I've completely gone off from what you asked me didn't I yeah keep going yeah uh yeah so uh, with my yeah with my um my mum I was I mean I did care I wasn't just heartless a heartless child or anything like that I had a um but I don't think I could I don't think I had the emotional capacity to feel love or to feel anything um definitely not nearly as strongly as i do now um for, well it, it served a purpose because if i sorry i need to stop you know <laughs> vandalizing right. your equipment <laughs> <laughs> um because if i if i allowed myself to feel th- things as maybe a child should do what anyone should do that would open me up to a lot of pain um because the sort of uncertainty of um where I was going to be, who I was going to be with. Uh, like I was very nearly go, uh, went into foster care because my, of, of my father, who I don't feel comfortable calling him dad just because of the, the way I was, yeah. <coughs> um, he was, he, yeah. All I can say now is he must have been a very sick person and potentially still is. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was very much, it was a way of protecting myself uh, and it took, um a long long time and a really convoluted journey to get those develop those feelings i I think that that, that there's really some interesting stuff in there as well actually because um you talk about the sort of disassociative um idea of um when you were young not having and the the person you are now sort of not having that kind of connection to say yeah that it was me that went through all of those things mm. it was kind of like you you projected it onto this this image of of a child that was kind yeah. of kind of you so uh, uh, in in terms of and you've been in recovery a little while now so h- how did you go about kind of unpicking that disassociation and like was it mm. was it a difficult process and was was that kind of emotionally charged um so it sort of it happens fairly naturally in because uh, to, to explore that because at, like when I first came in into recovery and group therapy and everything I um I just couldn't connect to any of my past as happening to myself um I just I, I couldn't go there um so talking about it I had to talk about it as if it was someone else because otherwise I just wouldn't be able to speak about it um yeah so explaining it to other people in a very matter-of-fact way like I was reading it um about someone else like a almost like a case study because I had um I told my story so many times in different ways before either to um solicitors doctors therapists um just yeah um other people uh in in the process of recovery as well um so it it almost got a little bit rehearsed by the time I I ended up at my community rehab that I went to and it was this talking therapy that you know I actually had to get emotionally involved with Mm. Mm. I guess um just to go back and so we talked a little bit there about you as a, a young person and then sort of mm. in recovery so we, we kind of missed out a great big chunk of of what was going on how did 
Um, and you talked about the the, the fantasy element and the, and the books, and it's mm. something that I can really relate to. I was going to say, that hits home with Spencer. Yeah, 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 for sure. So how would you say um, things progressed from that kind of fantasy into perhaps the bit more, um, the, the darker side of, of alcoholism? And, and yeah, that. I want to know what school was like, too. Don't just, like, skip out on all the good stuff. Um, so I was a very lonely child. Um, <clears throat> I think, again, in hindsight, I, because I was so reliant on this fancy world, I just I couldn't connect to reality very well. Um, again, that served a purpose, but with um, any chance of making friends, it was it was uh, brutal, <laughs> really. And uh, I just remember a lot of sitting on my own, or just yeah, I was better friends with the librarian and. Um, than I was with uh, most other people. Or if I was friends with someone, it'd be very much, I was giving everything and they'd be taking everything I I had and not putting anything back into the friendship. It was was very, very one-sided. And uh, yeah, I'd say the progression of it. Um, Because I wasn't really, I guess, in... uh, had that ability to cope with reality it was always just that go-to and um from like books and stuff it went to I guess imagining my life in a different way um and then thinking about what things sort of could be like and um having all these wants and, and desires for my um my future myself what I want to be like and then um, that was just me living in the future. I couldn't again live in <clears throat> in the present um, and and deal with what was going on on now. And that um, I guess fed into a bit of the I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it. Can you cut and edit this at all? Because <laughs> I feel like I'm just AOR. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Uh, progression into. Ask me well, another question. Well, I mean, I, I think the, the, the point that I was sort of working my way towards was, um, you know, at what point did you discover alcohol or did it sort of come into your life? Because um, I know for me that the, the fantasy stuff was great, but when, when I found booze, it was like, whoa, you know, this yeah. is a real game changer. This is total, you know, th- this, this changes everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, I think the way and, the, uh, and everything, how it, how it happened. So it's, um, I absolutely idolized my big brother. Um, he was five years older than me. Well, he still is five years older than me. He always will be. Actually. He was, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was a, um, training to be a bartender. Um, he makes all these fancy cocktails and everything. Um, so he had this array of, all different types of alcohol in his room. Um, so right from um, right from then, it was it was this uh, this thing that I related to being really cool, really grown up, really acceptable. And because um, I had no idea, um, no no real sense of identity, um, because <clears throat> me as my my core. Um, my core self wasn't good enough, um, which I don't know, I guess I, I always felt from the messages that I was had when I uh, was growing up. Um, I had to, I had to take bits of other people's identity who I thought was okay and then apply it to myself. So, um, with this, the, when I first picked up alcohol, it was, um, it was very much because I thought it was a good thing to do. Um, and it would make me a better person. Um, and it was in a very alcoholic way. It was stealing the alcohol from my brother, decanting it into a water bottle. Um, on the, <laughs> um, yeah, so straight vodka um, on the way to school when I was 14. So this was like eight in the morning and then drinking it throughout the day. And I, yeah, I don't remember much of that day apart from just feeling, oh my God, that this, these insecurities just like, I, I'm 
actually pretty cool. <laughs> and that was like <laughs> the first time I ever thought that in my life. I thought, I felt, I just felt really good. I felt really powerful. Um, and it was just, it was, yeah, for someone who had never thought that they could experience something, anything like that, that was, as I hear so often in the rooms, that was the answer. So why wouldn't I carry on? So that was really, I, how did you, um, so you said you felt like that you had a confidence, right? Like, like, uh, kind of the insecurities were, were gone and, you know, mm. I actually am a cool person. Like I'm almost, um, cause that's, that's exactly how I felt when I started, uh, drinking and using was I used to have all these insecurities and then I actually attributed the the loss of my insecurities to to using, right? Because once I started using, I didn't give a fuck what anybody <laughs> said. Like I didn't care. Um, and I thought that was so uh, so above what normal people went through, right? Like this was I had this fucking eye-opening experience that nobody else has. Um, so I'm just gonna wander around the hall of shit face, making an ass out of myself. Um, while I, while I, you know, supposedly don't care anymore. Um, how did, how did that translate into your relationships? Um, so this was, uh, in secondary school, which is from the age of what, 11 to 16 and then going on to, yeah. When did you start? How, how young were you when you first stole your brother's 14. 14. 14. Starting yeah. young. Okay. Um, so I did up until, um, up until that point have like sort of friends. Um, they weren't in the same class as I was in. So, um, it was, they were, I was still on the outside. <coughs> um, so sort of to make, yeah it it made me feel better about that as well like I had something to offer um and shortly after that I think I only sort of was around them for about um less than a, a year because they they were sensible you know studious <laughs> um and cared for their education I uh didn't um so I, I started to hang around with people who were more like the person that I was when I was drinking. So I started to um, talk other people into drinking during school as well. Used the Auburn Way quite a lot um, to go during the lunch breaks. To um, I specifically remember this one time, all I could find at home were these miniatures of um, both vodka and absinthe, oh. um, which was a terrible combination. Um, and uh, yeah, um, <laughs> sounds like a great time. Yeah. So my, yeah. Sounds I like lost 16th century France. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, like yeah, Toulouse so, the track or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I lost the, the kind of the sensible crowd, more like people who drank and smoked and, um, uh, and took drugs or dealt drugs and things like that. It wasn't, um, and the the important things that should be important became very much faded into the background. It was um, skiving off school, um, smoking behind the bike sheds. Um, I was I was very into my music back then as well. So I really really clung to the whole rock and roll lifestyle mm. um, of it. That was that was just what I wanted. I wanted to live fast and die young and couldn't. Um, and yeah, that was from about the age of 15, 14, 15. Couldn't see myself living past, um, say mid twenties, which that is, uh, I used to do that same thing. I used to have these, uh, these idols like, uh, and my, my dad actually pointed this out. It's funny cause Jim Morrison's on the wall right now. Uh, well, one of my idols or, or my idols started becoming these dead rock stars, right? Mm. Like, yeah, Jim Morrison was so cool. Or, you know, Jimi Hendrix is the shit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, drug overdose. <laughs> so cool. Um, but I used to idolize cause that's, I used yeah. to do that same thing. I used to not be able to, especially in like the teens, um, there were a lot of my friends that were planning for the future and were doing all these things. And I didn't think I was going to make it past 30, honestly. No. And then I, and then I had this, um, this self 
prophecy of mine that I was going to, if I made it to 50, I was just going to go jump out of an airplane without a parachute because mm. I didn't want to make it past 50 because <laughs> <laughs> like, the world just sucked. So I, I get it. I totally get it. Um, it's almost, it's kind of appealing to the young, uh, to the young soul to live that rock star life. Right. That's Sorry. Totally. That just made me think of, you know how some people say, if we're not married by the time we're 50 and we're just here sitting like, if we're not dead by the time we're 50, (laughs) then (laughs) might as well give up. Yeah. Might as well give up. Exactly. Um, so you, you found these new friends, made these new friends, right. Mm. And, and you started living this kind of rock style, rock star lifestyle. Um, how, how did that pan out for you? Well, no, I just want to clarify. I was not living <laughs> a rock star lifestyle. Uh, I, was, I was a teenager in St. Albans wanting, yeah, I, I yeah, just didn't want my life the way it was. I, I uh-huh. wouldn't exactly even call them friends. It was just people who didn't really want to be around everyone else in equal amounts. Mm. <laughs> um, I didn't want to be around everyone else. <laughs> Misery loves company. Exactly. Okay. Um, so then yeah it sort of remained like that and um actually similar again to your story Spencer I um I was quite naturally smart when I was like I said GCSEs were just a breeze I could do them without studying revising but then getting to higher education A level and stuff I did the same thing didn't do any work and um yeah wasn't surprised when i failed miserably (laughs) um but this is sort of where like from um from 17 is where the addiction stuff takes a bit of a turn um i was i was drinking up until then um like not just at parties and everything most people do um and yeah when i was out it'd be complete bin drinking i was always the one that i was passed out or you know i needed help Mm. um and then it then i got into a very toxic relationship um when i was 17 and developed an eating eating disorder um so it is the obsession i would say started there that was um i I mean, it wasn't healthy drinking the way I was doing it when I was um, younger than that age. But I, I would say the actual addiction started when I was 17 um, with the obsessive um, restricting of foods and um, being with this this person who absolutely just spoke to me in a vile way all the time. Um, but I just, th- I just, you know, thought one thought that was that was okay because this person is amazing and um and you know i should i should take anything that i got because i'm just i just need to be grateful to be um to be with them and uh yeah i I, my whole my those two years were very much consumed with uh, with those two things really did your uh did your family notice that like things were starting to go downhill no no. Really? You're able to hide it? Keep it together? I, uh, kept it together is uh <laughs> <laughs> No, I didn't I managed to sort of keep it from from them, but not in a I didn't have to try very hard because it, it we uh, it was one of those families that wanted to maintain the illusion of being like a functional family, but in like but it just wasn't. Mm. Um so I wasn't my my issues were <clears throat> not at the forefront of people's minds or if it um yeah it wasn't uh, yeah i yeah so no yes what <laughs> that, um, no you're doing you're doing great you really are um did that did that bother you at all like throughout your life knowing that you weren't on kind of the forefront of because you should be right you're 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 like the daughter you should be um uh, on a fairly high level of concern, right? Uh, did that ever bother you at all that you were like not on the main concern list? Well, no. Um, but no, so just thinking 
about like um I don't know if anyone else sort of experiences of hierarchy within their family. Um, but with the the culture, um, it's this weird sort of power dynamics between men and women. So um, they were, uh, they were my brother, my grandfather and my uncle was the men in the family um, who were meant to be like masculine, strong and... and um, bringing the money and all of that so they were better than women however the women in the family were running the whole show and um uh, that was so yeah and um as the the female child you're the youngest female in the family I was actually sort of the bottom rung um I had the least power the least say in anything um uh yeah so even like with my my uncle who is um quite an effeminate um man he didn't he sort of got demoted (laughs) um in the family because of um because of who he who he is and Uh, do you um sorry no go ahead do you feel the or do you see any kind of correlation or, or causation between that kind of role within your family and then perhaps how your relationship with the person <laughs> at 17 kind of manifests itself. I was just thinking that same question. <laughs> really? That was exactly what I was going to ask. Um, you know, I haven't actually thought about that because I've, I've, when I've um, explored that before, um, it's just been, I've actually thought of them mostly as two separate things. Like, the power dynamics in my family and then the whole addiction stuff i don't know what do you guys think i think you're on a voyage of (laughs) self-discovery yes i think that i think that's something that you could easily delve into but we don't have to do it on here yeah um i mean we definitely want you to find yourself but i don't know how much of yourself you can find on this podcast (laughs) we could try though um Uh, how sorry um so how did uh how did the relationship turn out like how did it how did it go Oh, it imploded because when I, um, it, it basically consisted of me not having opinions or feelings, um, that didn't, um, correlate with, uh, with what they wanted. Um, so it sort of culminated in, um, well, alcohol was heavily involved. It was the, the last day of, um, before we were, you know, like school and stuff. Um, and I, yeah, I got, um, got some drinks in and we both went back to mine, um, got slaughtered, um, and got into, like, I just didn't want to go out because I was, I was knackered, um, cause I'd already had like a full day and then been having quite a lot of alcohol on top mm. of it. So I didn't, um, even though we, we said, yeah, maybe we will go out and then, um, uh, just got, yeah, got into, uh, she got into a massive, um, yeah, hissy fit basically, and um, all the way back to her house was just sending me really abusive text messages, and because I had one of those um, Nokia brick phones, mm. I had to delete the first fifty abusive text messages to get in the to next the fifty abusive text messages. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, yeah, so I don't really know how it happened, um, but I was devastated at that time. Uh, and, um, even like, I, I, I felt like I had to make it up to her because I was like, oh God, because it's, it's not worked because of me and I should have just gone out and, um, and yeah, really beat myself up over it. Um, that was, I think one of the only healthy moments that's all the thoughts that have ever crossed my mind was a few weeks after that when I um when I saw her again at, at the pub and um I was like trying to make it up and because I just wanted everything to go back to normal and um we did that and then um about an hour later I heard <coughs> her bitching about someone and then I was just like no 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 <laughs> I just cannot do this anymore <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, just, um, out of my life. And then it went downhill from there. So 
Which is what I was actually yeah. gonna, which was what I was gonna get to next. So, what, at, at what age is this now? 19? 19. 19. 18. 18. 19, 18. 18. Okay. So, right around, right around um, 18 or 19. Yeah, when I, yeah, left school. At the end of What you, you, you leave school, you leave this toxic relationship, uh, which did seem very, uh, the power dynamic did seem very similar to the power dynamic at home. Mm um what did you what did you do what where did you go uh so by that time I'd started working and um same sort of tapping into what you were saying before about hard work being um defining worth and I um especially if it makes me or makes you physically just spent um so I yeah I put I put a lot of myself into that, and if um, yeah, I, I, some people say that workaholic. I, I would say that was uh, that was true of, true of me as well. Especially what did you after, do for work? Um, so I worked at a supermarket and service mm-hmm. counters, um, and worked my way up a little bit. Uh, so I was, I ended up being the informal team leader. The informality of it just meant they didn't pay me for being a team leader. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was. Um, I, most days when I was there, I was running the show. I was um, doing everybody else's job because they weren't doing it fast enough or they weren't doing it properly and I need to do everything. Oh my God, I'm so stressed. Why am I so stressed? <laughs> kind of need to be in control. Yeah, huh? I was going to say like there's a <laughs> yeah. bit of control <laughs> stuff yeah. going yeah. on there. Yeah. <laughs> we do it my way. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yeah. going to do everything. So yeah. get out of the way. <laughs> I, I, I should just interject with a very, very brief interlude here, which is to say that um, Charlotte is in my home group and obviously she sets up the the room. Oh, for f- <laughs> Oh, and do you know what? Oh my God, I've it, been standing there. The box. It, it, Are you the, referring to the box? The, the box. <laughs> There's a box with all the stuff in me, right? Now, if you put the stuff in the box wrong, you might you might not see the outside of that church ever again. Like it's there. Yeah, you can still oh. see a little bit of the a little trace of that control. I love it. I love it. Um. Just a little observation. That's all right. It took me, I mean, I'm very much wanting to be in control of everything. Like this whole podcast setup, right? I mean, it's, I'm very reluctant to be like, okay, plug that cord in. I mean, like, I want to plug the cord in. This cord needs to go here. This cord needs to go there. Uh, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Well, that's why it's so funny. (laughs) But I mean, at the same point, if you look at how today has been organized, I've I've been like, right, so I'm going to pick you up here. We will go here. We will do this, and then we're going to do. Yeah, exactly. Because I need to be in control as well. (laughs) We're all just in control here. (laughs) Yeah, disrespecting my box. All right, I'm sorry. I get in a lot of trouble over this fucking box. <laughs> he does. A lot of people do. But I, I, I think tra- everybody knows to stay away. And well, I trash it thing. on purpose because like, I know it winds you up. So, um, I like to think that I'm helping you with your control issues. Let's put it that way. I'm going to sell it to you like that. So, um, yeah. So, uh, with the work stuff, um, I mean, I know I went through those kind of phases of, of having to... Um, I guess there was something in me that wanted to prove something. Mm. I'm not sure who I was going to show, but I was going to show yeah. them. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know whether there was, if you, if you experienced a bit of that potentially as well, but um, what, mm. what's, what, what then happened? I mean, you start earning a little bit of money. Mm. Um, Independence. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to yeah. ask you about actually. So what sort of, what, 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 what came out of Pandora's box once we, we, we got enough money to open it? Well, <laughs> um, with that, it's just um, I needed to be the best. If I was going to do something, it was either going to go perfectly or I was going to give up. Well, if you ain't first, you're last. Exactly. And that was, yeah, all or nothing. Very, um, I think having things or thinking of the world in a very in a black and white way helped me cope with um a lot of like of the emotionally intricate situations that I found myself in such as um even the even the relationship it was I'm good 
uh, sorry, I'm I'm bad. She's good. I'm wrong. She's right. That that type of thing. It was um, I couldn't deal with the the gray area. So, yeah, with work, I needed to. I need I needed everything I was doing and everything that people around me, because obviously it reflected me, <laughs> and their work reflected my work. Everything needs to go perfectly. And um, you know what would be even better? It'd be even better is after I left, it all went to shit. That would be even better. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was the best. I was fantastic. And, you know, nothing. The world just wouldn't go around without me. Um, yeah. Funnily enough, I was extremely surprised coming into recovery that I was self-centered <laughs> and egotistical. <laughs> that was a massive discovery for me. Do you know what, mate? It was the same for me. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm the biggest asshole. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so what happened? What you were this, you were this driven, this, I am in control, this, I don't like reality. So I'm going to try and step out of it person. What happened to cause you to recognize, oh, maybe I have a problem. I wouldn't say that I even recognized I had a problem when I came into recovery. <laughs> okay. Um, hey, I, I didn't either. Yeah, no, it was, um, I mean, there's probably something oh, I did. a little <laughs> bit in between that. Like, because uh, part of something I really struggle with and to an extent do struggle with today is um, my sexuality. Um, because going back to sort of the power dynamics of my family and um, the, the men being seen as like the best um i and also anything anything different from the norm is not being okay like even my, my uncle is gay and um he was disowned for five years so it was a very mm. much not talked about thing in my family it was not good it was not okay and so um so i just wasn't comfortable with it and even like when i was growing up in school and everything it was used as an insult um, I had asked people, you know, it's just it's testing the water. What would you say if you found out so and so was um, was this way? And and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd sort of like act okay, but I really wouldn't be okay with it. And I'm mm -hmm. like, ah, oh, cool, great, fine, great. yeah, go, I'm great, I'm everything, yeah, I'm so <laughs> like fantastically heterosexual. Um, and uh, yeah, so the. Um, the relation that relationship that I had with um with another woman when I was yeah seventeen and eighteen, um, it didn't do that any favors because she didn't want people to know. Uh, she didn't yeah. really want people to know that we were in a relationship because she was um I don't know I, I felt a little bit like a guinea pig or a test or something and that I really cared for this other person, and um yeah another I think um the the things that affected my self-worth were very yeah that was one of the big ones so um just I was not okay I was not okay who like who I am um just wasn't right and I had that from now three different areas from my peers my family and my partner um that mm. it wasn't a good it wasn't an okay thing to be so then sort of going um into work i had this fresh start this new opportunity to be whoever i wanted and also in customer service every different person you can be whoever the fuck. i mean sometimes i put on accents or whatever or pretended i was doing this and like just come back from somewhere interesting and anything to make myself sound like not myself mm. basically so um I put on this sort of facade of being, um, being straight, being, <clears throat> um, I don't know, just being someone who I wasn't. Um, and I didn't, um, I, I just, well, I say facade. I made myself believe that, um, I thought it was just a phase that I was going through and, um, I really tried to bury it. So then when, um, I think when my, or not, I think I know when my, my drinking really took off when I was, um, when I was 19 and I'd gone away, um, traveling for a little bit. And when I, I started to get involved with men and, um, sleep around because, 
and I do understand um, the sort of the reasoning behind that because I I felt um, and if, tell me if it doesn't make sense, but I sort of felt like if um, like they're speaking to me, they're paying attention to me, I owe them some form of payment, and my my body was the only way that I felt like I could do that. Um, like yeah, and um, and that yeah, then I'd be more normal. And that would be then I'd be sort of an okay person. And I've got to say that was that that time that I was away created an even bigger hole inside of me that I used alcohol to fill afterwards. And from when I got back to England, um, for yeah, from then to years afterwards, I got sober. It was just constant drinking. It only took about two weeks for it to go from glass of gin and tonic um with the mint and cucumber and lemon maybe you know classy um (laughs) one a night to two to half a bottle to filling up the bottle with water and having another one behind a fridge to having many 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 around the house in stupid places um to not even bothering pretending that i'm drinking normally and it just being as normal as coming back and having a cup of tea or sitting down or taking your shoes off that would actually be my priority over everything um yeah so it escalated very quickly that's um sorry i said quite a lot in no i think that there's 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 an awful lot in that and there's a lot that's that speaks to me about uh, about what you said in terms of kind of that loss of identity and Mm -hmm. and perhaps low self-worth and low self-esteem and um i think actually it's quite a a a sort of sad in indictment on the the kind of the, the perhaps the female aspects of um relationships that meant that you felt that the only way to really connect with someone was to you know physically Mm. so but I guess one of the things that I mean obviously Charlotte I know you a bit and the the, one of the things that I was interested in um so I have some underlying health conditions and I know you do as well Mm. and you talked about the this sort of reinforcement of negativity from what do you say your parents your peers and your your partner Mm. it's good alliteration by the way um (laughs) The three P's. The three P's. Yeah. Um, what what role does the the fibromyalgia um, sort of? At what point does that come in, and what kind of role does that play in terms of like the bigger picture? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you want to just tell us a little bit about fibro as well, because a lot of people might yeah. not know anything about it. Yeah. So this um, this is when we sort of like broached the the topic of strength and weakness which um, was uh, warped, to say the least. Um, in my mind, strength, and this is from a young age, um, strength was physical, physically strong, um, physical endurance, mentally lacking emotion. So, yeah. Um, and any, so, uh, yeah, with the, with the fibro, when I sort of started to develop it, um, I was working, I was in recovery, I was still drinking. And, um, yeah, I, work was like one of the only sources, or pretty much the only source of esteem that I could get at that point. And then I start, I stopped being able to do that because I was in so much pain, like standing up for two hours behind a, a service counter I had to, I was literally hobbling out and I was not even exaggerating it I was like bent down at, to one side I was in absolute agony um so uh, yeah I felt I felt really weak um just as a person and that was not okay Spencer mm, yeah, well, that was not okay to me a few years ago <laughs> yeah well I, I can I can hugely relate to that mm. can you can you just tell us a little bit about just from a sort of layperson point of view what what fibromyalgia is mm, so my experience of it is chronic pain and chronic fatigue um it doesn't this kind of whether the cold the um damp darkness doesn't really doesn't help 
Um, but I think I, I suffer. I can. I've got <laughs> you need to leave the country because that's what I was going to say. That's a, you just described England in a sentence. <laughs> um, Sorry, keep going. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Um, uh, yeah, so for me, it's, it's the fatigue that's more debilitating because my my I I got quite a high pain tolerance anyway, and um, I can I can do things while I'm physically in pain. Um, that's I mean it's not fantastic, but I can I can work through it. It's more like when I wake up and I cannot move my arms and my legs, um, or I feel so fatigued I can't stand up without getting out of breath um and that yeah it's it's not it's not fun mm. it really no i don't and also just having to say all the time like charlotte how are you oh i'm tired oh i'm exhausted oh, i'm knackered mate it's uh it's just the same old thing mm. all the time i don't know if you get this as well but because i, I i've had a bit of yeah. chronic fatigue and, and some of that stuff and and because when I say um, the word tired comes out my mouth mm. and my brain says lazy. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Actually really nailed like, it. Uh, 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 yeah. Because I know what you're thinking. Yeah. Guys say I'm tired. You you in your head are saying lazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like even when it um, it's an achievement to get out of bed, go and make a cup of coffee, sit down, not like downstairs that is even if that's the most i can do i'm just thinking fucking wait am i allowed to swear on it yeah okay i'm pretty sure that i've said fuck about 10 times now at least 11 11 now yeah at least okay (laughs) (laughs) um Um, so it's that's got to be really really hard because you see society and society is very much get up and go 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 and if you're not yeah. getting up and going 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 then you are immediately uh, i mean it, you're not uh but our, our my mind perceives me as oh i am less than or i am not enough because mm. i am not doing what all of these other people are doing or it's harder for me to do it all and I was actually just talking to somebody about this last night who has dyslexia and they and they they really beat themselves up because they can't they they just can't operate. It's not possible to operate at the level of what some other people operate at. Right. Mm. And uh, to and, and this guy, he's not he's not an alcoholic. I think he is, but he's not in the rooms yet. Uh, I think he probably will be. It wouldn't surprise me if he did or not. Because, but it it really keeps him down. Uh, it really keeps him down. And I've gone through that exact same thing with just addiction in general, right? Why can't I go out and do what mm. these other people are doing? Why can't I go out and do, uh, you know, why can't I go to the pub? Why can't I work sixty hours a week and be totally okay by the end of the week? Because if mm. I drop an eighty hour work week, then I'm most likely going to end up pretty discombobulated. I said discombobulated. Uh, yeah, I'm going to end up pretty discombobulated by the end of the week. And then I'm, and then I'm susceptible to jeopardizing my own health, right? Which would be like to go get high or to go get drunk or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I totally, I totally get that. That's how did you, how do you cope with that now? Um, it really depends on the day. I mean, most, most days um it's just i'm i'm used to it but um with this thing as well uh sorry i know you told me not to move my legs but you're all right you know (laughs) um yeah when uh yeah depression is just comes with this for quite natural reasons actually um so some days i'm i don't have the i don't know mental psychological resilience to to combat those feelings of oh you're not good enough you're not um you're not an okay or acceptable human being because you don't function you just don't function <laughs> today um but yeah no I sort of come to see it as um like I was not able to take care of myself before um even just like up to um going on a year sober I just couldn't, um, I still needed 
outside things and people and things and I think yeah to to define my my worth mm. um and I I because I couldn't find it in myself so I, I would say this is sort of um a really annoying way of my higher power or life or something just saying just be okay with with me like I can I can because of this as I I would actually say a direct result of this because I have to sit with myself um I can now mm. so yeah I'm trying to see the that's positives a really of it. good outlook on it actually to find the to find the positives in it um so you we we're, we're running out of time we only have maybe five or ten more minutes um I want to get into how you got into recovery. What what were the events mm. that led up to you going? You said you went to a community rehab. Treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So my um, my initial thoughts on any sort of recovery was actually for the the food stuff because um, I I wasn't eating because I was drinking. Mm. So um, that and that was happening for a long time. Um, so I was obviously tackling the main problem, the food stuff, not the alcohol. That was just no. So when I called them up and said, you know, I'm struggling with this. And that was a big step in itself. Um, the person on the other end of the phone just asked, so what, what do you think you need to tackle first? And in my head, oh, it's the alcohol that's permitting me from like losing weight, even though I didn't need to at that point. Like I was... Um, yeah, so I just sort of mentioned that, and then she really latched on for that to, to that for good reason. And Ooh, um, alcohol, <laughs> and uh, and then I went through. Uh, I don't know, have you heard of Spectrum CDL? Um, yeah. yeah, so I went. I started there, and they. My experience with them wasn't fantastic, really, because um, it's just a local public kind of drug and, drug and alcohol, alcohol service. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I started going there and then I started getting time of work to go there and then lying about going there to get time of work so I can go drink. I was They didn't want me, uh, for safety reasons, to just stop drinking. Um, so I was like, throw, get, uh, pour out a capful uh, from your litre bottle of vodka and throw it away because <laughs> that will make an incredible amount of difference. And, and to be honest, I guess it just shows how, um, uh, how much of a hold it had over me because I could only do that once. I could only think because otherwise it was just wasting it and I couldn't bear to part with a single drop of it because mm. um, I needed it to keep me sane. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so I went through there. I was meant to get a, a residential detox. Um, so every two weeks for eight or nine months, they said, you're going to go in in two weeks. So for those eight or nine months it was like oh my god this is my last two weeks of drinking i've been away the most of it and um yeah so that wasn't that wasn't fantastic but it did go up it did um i don't know it just did, didn't do me any favors so um that actually turns out they didn't even put me in for one <laughs> so uh that was mm. i bet that was the longest two weeks of your life <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can say that um so yeah eventually i did have a detox um and that after that i went to the living room which is the community rehab that i was talking talking about and um it's it's an amazing place i know a lot of people who have been there um it's just like a day treatment thing from um 10 30 to 2 30 just uh group therapy um initially when i heard about it i literally just thought it was a place to go to pass the time and i just imagined getting really good at pool um because that's just <laughs> kind of, of what i thought some yeah. sort of youth club exactly just like um you know the pioneer uh somewhere just like a, a different version of that um for our american viewers that is a local youth club <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i had no idea what it was so. <laughs> Sorry, um yeah so um, that first period of sobriety was three months. Um, I was very, very different from how I am today. Very naive, very still, I would say, because um, going back to like when I was 14 or 15, 
um, emotionally. I just couldn't, I didn't know how to cope. Oh, so much anxiety, so much fear, all that. I remember my very first day there, I was adamant not to make any friends or not to talk to anyone. It's like, right, during the lunch break, I'm going to go sit in the park and not talk to anyone. And I had to leave straight away because... Um, actually, I don't know why. I thought I was just like, this isn't going to define me. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm fine. I just need to be here for a little bit and then, you know, get on with my life. Um, and that started a year, um, maybe a bit more than a year. That's a year. It must have been a bit more than a year of just relapsing all the time. And then I was sick of saying I'd relapse, so I started lying about it. Mm. And that was, um, I started going to the rooms at that point and it, told me to have one foot in the door of AA and of recovery and to just not be able to get it so I can see it but but I just couldn't get it I just could couldn't put put down um drink or any thought of um I think well my thoughts on it is just I still just couldn't live myself Mm. and um it it ended up with me um getting down to though that that choice um you know, I couldn't live without alcohol couldn't live without it and I was two or three days away from from killing myself and um I knew it I well I knew I thought that I knew that I was gonna end my life for about three months beforehand so I'd, I'd packed and everything I was gonna make myself homeless so my family would forget about me before I did it so I wouldn't have a funeral an obituary or anything I'd just be one of those um anonymous homeless people because I didn't want any recognition didn't want anything um and I was that was probably the worst three months in, in my life because I for me I was just um a walking dead person um and I I was I was grieving I would say in that period I was um grieving everyone in in my life because I I did have feelings I did have um emotional connections to people and um I just couldn't do it anymore um I'd written letters and everything yeah so um yeah and uh it's just I and I would have gone through with it if it wasn't for some one of the counselors there just putting me in one morning being like Charlotte what what's going on um because they'd sort of sort of knew what had been happening they were just waiting for me to open up and tell the truth about it never did because I didn't see the point of that um and and I just broke down and and told them everything and from there it's just the rest is history I guess and then I went on to go to this really weird podcast place (laughs) with these two (laughs) absolutely insane people it's like i know i thought i thought my life was going in an upward trajectory until today just when Uh, i thought i was out yeah um i was gonna say that one of the i I don't know how much time we got left but we got a few minutes we got a couple minutes yeah the um some of your like the the choice of language that you used when you were describing some of that was really interesting because when you said um, you wanted to make yourself homeless because you didn't mm. want to cause a fuss or you didn't, you know, um, when you were going to kill yourself. That um, doesn't cause fusses at all. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 again, it sort of, it relates back to this whole idea of self-worth, doesn't it? Because I think that that's, that seems to be reflective of perhaps some of the things earlier mm. in your life and mm. I'm not sure well, I wonder what the question is to you is is was it really that you didn't want to cause a fuss or did you feel that you didn't deserve it somehow is that kind of I I don't know I think it's a, a bit of both more so the latter because um I just didn't want to exist hence the beginning of self <laughs> um uh, yeah I didn't I I, I was the sh- shit on people's shoe I was nothing and and um that yeah the, well yeah I guess the treatment that I thought I deserved was just being eradicated from life from existence and I didn't want anyone to care because I didn't feel like I was I was worth anyone caring um which, mm. yeah and I could not I can remember it quite vividly um that pain and just like weeping um Mm. 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 That sounds like a terrible. I, I'm, 
I've, I've been there. It's, it's, it's a terrible place. Terrible place to be. Um, the last, the last two minutes, how is, you've gone through all of this in your life and you, you, you still fight with, with medical stuff and, um, life today isn't perfect, but how is it in comparison to what it was? I, well, I, it's a good life today because I, I know because I'm absolutely I don't know what my life was before this last what 55 minutes I was just not living um it's understandable (laughs) (laughs) um uh, no I can I have what I what I really feel like it is is that I've got um a heart back I can feel things I can make meaningful connections with people and for me connection is the opposite of addiction because everything that I did that was negative for me is it was in, in isolation and um sort of either put me in or dug me deeper into that hole that I had inside myself which again going back to the start was the place that I was sort of set off being okay with like that was the yeah so good is the answer to that question good okay and um I suppose just finally um tacos Oh, no, maybe we won't get there. Let's Charlotte. go. That's a whole other hour. And Char- I just want to. I just want to. I uh, no, did not. <laughs> I did not deny the existence of tacos. That is not a thing. You two are speaking out your ass. I disagree wholeheartedly with the concept of tacos. I'm glad we we you got the opportunity for the the right to clarify yeah. that. I still I have a hard time believing. I I still have a hard time. How do you disagree with something that just exists? That's like I'm not I'm denying this, the existence. of I'm it, looking though. at this chair I right just, now. I disagree with that chair. Well, if that chair <laughs> wasn't functional, then you would disagree with the existence. Like, say, so the functionality the, of a taco. It's not is, food. It's meant to be eaten, not all over the food receptacle, <laughs> which is te- it, it is what you get when you eat a taco. It does not do the... It's getting close to lunch, too. I'm starting to get hungry. Um, Maybe we should end the uh, existential, <laughs> existential discussion on... on <laughs> is yeah, a hot dog on, a sandwich? Oh. Maybe we can just get into it. We should just um, recorded our whole soup. conversation <laughs> is, in the is, car. Is right. cereal soup. All right. Uh, well, we're gonna we're, we're gonna have to end it there. But I just want to say uh, I want to say thank you. You did really you did really good. Yeah, that it was, was great. Really I really enjoyed that. Thank you. It's thank nice to. I'm looking forward to the the debate next time. Not just tacos, but sandwiches and soup. Sandwiches and soup. What's hot dogs and cereal? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. All right, riveting well, stuff. We will catch, we will catch you all at our next podcast. Hopefully next week, and uh, yeah, see you then. Peace out.